My name is Scott Luck, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to see you um, on this morning. If you have a Bible and you want to you wanna read along with us, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8 today. And um, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll have the scripture on the, on the screens behind me. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about where we're going over the next few weeks. We're starting a new series of messages uh, that I'm calling Enemies of the Heart. And um, let me just kind of take a couple of minutes and just set that up uh, for us this morning. If I were to ask you to take your finger and point to yourself, where would you point to? Would, would, you, would you point to your head? Would you say, here I am? Or would you point to your, your heart? Yeah, I think all of us would agree that we would, we would, we would say, here I am. You're not going to do this. You're going to you're going to you're going to say this is this is me. You know you're going to point to your heart, and I think I think that that's interesting, and I think we know how important our thinking really is, but we also know that what's most essential about us is not our intellect, right? You're not going to say to someone that you love, "I just love you with all of my brain," you know. You're just not going to say that. You're not going to say to somebody, you know what, I just dedicate to you my full bladder. You know, you're not going to say that. Um, you're not going to say, uh, you know, I just, I just love you with all of my nostrils. You know, that, that's just not, not, that's not what you're going to say. You know, what we know when we speak of ourselves, when we speak of that aspect of ourselves that, uh, that is most central to who we are, we're going to speak of the heart, Right? Now, when I'm talking about the heart, I'm really not talking about that amazing organ of muscle that God put right in the center of our chest. Not, not talking about that. I'm really talking about, you know, your spiritual heart. I'm really talking about, you know, that thing that's invisible, you know, that's, that's inside of you, right? I, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, that that thing that the poets and the philosophers and, you know, preachers talk about all the time. Uh, I'm talking about that thing that was broken inside of you uh, in, when you were in the ninth grade when what's-her-name said, I just want to be friends, you know. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, that feeling of nostalgia that comes into your mind when you hear a journey song, you know. Or when your heart is filled with joy when you see your kids or your grandkids do something amazing. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about that part of you that enables you to, to, to laugh and to love and to experience all of life. And what's fascinating about, about your heart and my heart is, is this. It is the very, it's, it's the thing that God is most concerned about you. That's the thing that concerns him the most, your heart. Now, just think about that for a minute. What what God really wants is for your heart and my heart to be in sync with his good heart. That's what God wants. He, he wants you to know, he wants you to know love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. That's what he wants for you. And it's fascinating because, you know, the, the writer of Proverbs says this. He gives us some, some really ancient wisdom and he says, above all else. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, isn't that interesting? And you wish he would unpack that a little bit more, but basically what he's saying is your heart and my heart needs to be guarded from something. Like we need to be on guard. 
And it's fascinating because, you know, the apostle Peter, you know, wrote to a group of Christians and he said to them, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So what is he talking about? He's talking about our hearts. We need to guard our hearts from the devil. And not only that, but James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. And so James has a warning for us about the heart. And not only that, but the apostle Paul says, do not give the devil a foothold in your heart. And so what we see is clearly we have an enemy who is, who is waging war against, you know, my heart and yours. Now, here's the other thing about this. And, and you know, I don't know if you've, you know, realize this, but, but, you know, for me, you know, the truth is sometimes the biggest threat to me is not my enemy, the devil. My biggest threat is me. You know what I'm saying? Now, now just think with me about this. You, you know, we're all made in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. We were created by God and we reflect his image. That's what makes us valuable and that's what makes us lovable in God's eyes but the truth is my heart is sinful and selfish and left to myself I I have this kind of propensity to get incredibly distracted from the most important things of life you know left to myself I can I can give myself over to misplaced priorities and I can become incredibly selfish so so what we see is there are internal threats to our heart and there are also external threats to our heart. So what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is we're going to be looking at how the heart can come under attack. We're going to be looking at just specific enemies of the heart that, are, that really act as kind of life-blocking agents that get our hearts out of sync with the heart of God. And, and the first enemy that I want to look at this morning is one that's well known to all of us. It's, it's really the, the enemy of fear. You know, and it's fascinating as I was kind of researching, you know, over 400 times in the Bible, uh, God says, do not fear, do not be afraid. And what that tells us is it's the heart of God for us not to be preoccupied, you know, with, with anxiety, with worry and fear. And man, do we live in the age of anxiety today, don't we? In fact, you know, David in the 23rd Psalm said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. I will fear no evil for you are with me. And so what David is saying is this, that there are going to be times in life when you and I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There are going to be times in our life when fear is kind of crouching at our door. But we need not fear because he's with us. And that's what God wants us to see, that we need not be afraid in, 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 the, you know, in the circumstances of life. And interestingly enough, that's what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to read a, uh, just a story of Jesus and the disciples today from Luke's Gospel chapter 8. And uh, we're going to read a story because, because what we're going to see in this story is Jesus really wants to teach this very thing to the disciples. And he wants them to learn it. And it's a, it's a great story. He really wants them to learn how to trust in him. And uh, they're going to encounter a storm, and that storm 
is very revealing because it's going to bring fear to the surface in the hearts and minds of the disciples. So what we like to do here at Stones is we very much are grateful that God has revealed himself. And we, are, uh, we revere God's word to us because it's, it's his loving word of truth to us. So I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you stand for the reading of the word of God today? So this is Luke's gospel, chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. So Luke writes this. Now one day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were, f- and, and, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and they woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. This is the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Now Jesus Jesus does a miracle here. And Jesus never does a miracle just, you know, just to show off. You know what I mean? Like he never wastes a miracle. Every time he does a miracle, he does, he does it because he's got a point in mind. And he wants to, he wants to teach his disciples the truth. And, and he wants to teach us a truth as well. And I love this because this is real life. This is so much like our daily life. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in just a moment. But, but here's, I think, I think we can draw three lessons from, from this story this morning. I think the first thing that we see is that Jesus is Lord over the storm. I think that's what we see. Now, let me just, just kind of set this up for you. The disciples are, are in the boat with Jesus. And he has told them, let's go across the Sea of Galilee. So, there, you know, a lot of these guys are... They're experienced fishermen. They've been on the Sea of Galilee and they've even been in the storms. Now, the interesting thing about the Sea of Galilee is that it is 700 feet below sea level. And then just 30 minutes to the northeast of the Sea of Galilee is Mount Hermon and it is 9,200 feet above sea level. So that creates an interesting regional dynamic because you have the cold air from the mountains coming down and clashing with the warm air over the sea. And what that produces instantaneously are storms that you can, you can barely even forecast, just like in the state of Indiana. So, um, and so these guys have been on the boat before. They, they've, they've been here, done this, but this is a big storm. I mean, you know, Luke tells us they were in danger. So you could imagine, if not hurricane, hurricane you know, force winds, pretty close to it. And so the waves are beating the boat, the winds are, the winds are blowing, uh, water is going into the boat. And so they go up to Jesus and he's sleeping. Man, he must have been tired but because he, he, was, he was just kind of zonked out through this. So they go to him and they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. And Luke tells us that he wakes up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and they cease, and it says, and everything was calm. Everything was calm. Now, that is, that is interesting to me because, because I think we see a couple of things. I think 
not only interesting, but I think there's a couple of astonishing things that we see in this. And the first thing that I think we see is that you don't have a picture of Jesus, you know, kind of standing in the boat going like this, you know, rolling up his sleeves and pulling out his staff like Gandalf and Lord of the Rings and just, you know, banging in the bottom of the boat and everything, you know, comes to a halt. You, you don't see that. Jesus just speaks. He just, he just kind of rebukes the wind and the waves. And, and Luke doesn't tell us what he says, but the gospel of Mark tells us what he says. He says, peace be still. That's all he said. In the original language, you could translate it this way. Sit down and shut up. That's what he said. And so that's all he does. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. He just speaks. That's all he did. Doesn't put on a big show. Doesn't, you know, give off this big incantation or anything. I think the second astonishing thing is immediately the wind and the waves stop. Immediately. And, and not only that, but, but Luke tells us there was calm. And that word calm in the original language is serenity. There was serenity. In other words, man, that, that sea was a, like, like a sea of glass. It was just flat. Now, if, you, if you've had any experience hanging around the lake or the ocean, you know after a storm comes through, the waves, you know, the, the, you know, the water is still very choppy a couple of hours after the storm has even gone by, but not here. I mean, he completely deals with the storm, and it's pretty amazing. And, and these disciples, they see this power they've never seen before. Like, who does this? And you have to understand, you know, in, in you know, ancient people back then, 2,000 years ago, the one thing all the cultures had in common is, was, was really their view of the sea and their view of the ocean. Because they didn't know a whole lot about it. And for them, it was mysterious, it was dark, and it was destructive. It was, every, it was a symbol of everything evil. And it was completely uncontrollable by people. Only the gods could control it. And here you have Jesus standing up in the boat and he says to the wind and the waves, you know, basically sit down and, and shut up and, and everything goes calm. And you guys, interestingly enough, the disciples are more afraid after he calms the storm than they are before because they're marveling at this. Now, what is it that we learn from this? You know, how does this you know, what, is this, what does this kind of mean for us? It just means this. It means that Jesus is Lord over the storm. It means that Jesus doesn't appeal to a higher power. He doesn't appeal to Zeus and Apollyon and Athena and all the Greek gods. He doesn't appeal to some higher power. He is the higher power. You know, he's not using his special, you know, powers. He is power. The wind and waves obey him because Colossians tells us he created and holds together the wind and the waves by the power of his word. That's pretty amazing. Now, how, do we, how does this apply? What does this mean for you and for me? Doesn't it seem like in life that life is one series of storms after another? You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, doesn't it seem like life is just like, you know, you just move from one storm to the next, to the next, and to the next. And some of you are coming out of some, some kind of storm right now, and you're like, whew, I'm so glad that's over with. But hold on, you're getting ready to go into another one. 
We all are, right? Because that's life. Life is just a series of storms. And, and you just kind of hope that, you know, you don't get hit with the big one that takes you down, right? I mean, that's just kind of the way, the way it is. And so, and so um, I, I think it could be anything. It could be any number of things for you and for me. It could be that you're waiting for the results from a test that your doctor ran on you. And you feel the fear of that. It could be that your boss emailed you Friday afternoon and said, I want to see you first thing Monday morning at 8 o'clock. And you fear that. It could be that your marriage is not doing well. And there's a lot of uncertainty about your future. And you fear that. You know, it could be that you're, you're working three jobs and you still can't make ends meet. And you fear that. That's called a storm. That's what it is. And we all have been through them. Now, I, I, think, I think, you know, you've got a couple of options at that point. You, you know, one thing is, you, the first option, I think, is you could really go with the culture and what the culture tells us about our life and how, you know, how our society kind of defines our existence. Because, because so many, not everybody, but so many in our society basically says that, you know, you and I are, you know, we're, we're products of an accidental storm that happened millions of years ago. You know, that you and I, that our existence derives from the fact that we've, we've evolved over billions and billions of years. And, and, and finally, you know, this is kind of what we've involve, evolved to, right? And, and so there's no God and there's no life after death and there's no purpose in life. I mean, this is all you have. This is all there is. You live and then you die and that's it. I mean, you can go with that. Or you can go with Jesus is Lord over the storms of life. You could go with that. That Jesus is security in the storms. That Jesus is safety in the storms. That Jesus, most of all, is with you in the storms. See, if Jesus is Lord, if he's Lord over the storm, he's Lord over life. And that means he created us. That means we have a purpose. That means when you were born, God was smiling that day at your birth. That means that your choices and my choices matter. It means, that, it means that there is death and disease and evil in this world. But because Jesus is Lord over the storm, he's going to write that and create a new heaven and new earth one day. That's what it means. And so, you know, the question is, is which option, you know, draws you in? I think what we see, Jesus is trying to help his disciples see the option he is Lord over the storm. But there's a second, second lesson that we see here, and that is that Jesus allows the storm. He allows the storm. He really does. Look, look with me at verse, look again at verse 22. Now notice this. Now he, Luke tells us this. One day he got into a, into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go to the other side of the lake. Now, I think Jesus is orchestrating this entire thing. I think, I think this is in his plan from the very beginning. I think he wants to reveal himself to his disciples. Because I think up to this point, he's been hidden. 
And, and I think he wants to really show them who he really is. And so I think, I think Jesus orchestrates the storm. I think he allows the storm. I really do. Now, it's, it's here that I need to make a really important distinction. And, and that is this, that, that Jesus is sovereign over the problems and the storms in your life and in mine. He is completely sovereign over the storms of life. But that doesn't mean he's caused all of the storms in your life. You know, like I was mentioning a little bit earlier, sometimes I just make dumb choices and I cause my own storms. Thank you very much. God doesn't need any help. For, you know, you know I, I don't need any help from God. I can just do it, you know, just by myself. Sometimes the enemy, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, he can cause some storms in your life. And then other times God wants to test our faith and strengthen our faith. And he will put us in a storm just to strengthen us and test us. And so regardless of the cause of the storms, the good news is this. None of your problems and none of the storms could happen without God's permission. In other words, the storms of life are father-filtered. They really are. And so he's sovereign over the storms in our life. And what you see in this passage, just very clearly, is that Jesus is allowing the, the waves to hit the side of the boat. What you see is Jesus is allowing the rains to come down. He is allowing water to come into the boat. He's allowing all of this. And so, and so the disciples, you know, you know, are panicking and they want Jesus' help, but he's sleeping. Now, isn't that, isn't, isn't that your experience in, in mind? Like so many times when we go through a storm, not only is he allowing it, but it's, doesn't it seem like God is asleep during our storm? I mean, it's like, God, where are you in this? You seem so far away. You, see so, you seem so disconnected. Where are you in this? He's sound asleep. As the disciples say, Master, Master, we are perishing. Don't, you know, the implication is, don't you even care that we're dying here? You ever said that to God? Well, it's not a new thing. In fact, I've, there's a passage in Psalm 44 that says this. Um, Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and, and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Have you ever said that to God? You ever wondered where he is in the midst of the storm? You see, I think the point is, is God will sometimes let the waters and the waves rage in your life. He will let that happen. And, uh, and he'll always seem like he's sound asleep. And have you ever noticed this? That not only does he seem sound asleep, but he's never in the hurry to end the storm. You guys, you know what I mean? Like he's never working on your timetable. And, uh, and it certainly seems like that is, is here. And, and so he just kind of lets it Let's it go. Now, it's here where I need to kind of interject something. And I, and I think it's, it's important for us. And it's this, that, you know, if you're here today and you're considering becoming a Christian, I, I, think, I think it's really important for you to, for you to understand that, that just because, you, you know, you become a Christian doesn't mean the storms in your life are going to cease. It doesn't, it's not a ticket to an easy and comfortable life. In fact, the Bible says the exact opposite. You, you, you need to know that storms are really a part of life in general, walking on the earth. It really is. 
In fact, James says, James tells us to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. You know, Jesus told his disciples the night before he was crucified, he said, you know, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, he didn't say, in this world you're not going to have trouble because I've overcome the world. He didn't say, you're not going to have trouble because, you know, I wasn't strong enough to overcome the world. He doesn't say that. This is what he's saying. He's saying, he says, you know, in this world you will have trouble, but I've overcome the world. And if you put your faith in me, if you attach yourself to me, you will overcome the world too because I've overcome it. That's what he's saying. And so the the Christian life is, is a life of faith, understanding that God uses the storms in our life for good. And, and so I think that's what Jesus wants to show these disciples. So let's, let's apply this. I think there's a couple of applications to this. As you think about Jesus allowing storms in your life, I think the first application is this. You need not be surprised at the storms in your life. Don't be surprised. I think a lot of the biggest difficulty with dealing with storms and problems and trials is is the pain of the surprise of it. Because what is our first question? Why me, God? I don't understand this. I wasn't expecting this. Why me? And so so the one thing that we can't control is we can't really control the storms that come our way, but we can control our perspective going in the storms. And that's the second thing that I think we, we can learn is that God wants to grow us in the midst of the storms. God's trying to do something in us, just like he's trying to do something in the disciples. And so what does God want to, what does God want to produce in us? What he wants is he wants to build Christ-like character in us. He wants for me and you to be little Christs. That's what a Christian means. And he wants our character to reflect the character of his son, Jesus. And what was the character of Jesus? Jesus was calm. Jesus was cool. And he was confident of the Father's love in the storm. And that's what he wants to produce you and me. And and the only way he can do that is by taking us through the storm and showing us he's faithful. You know, uh, it is almost football season. And uh, Cousin Andrew's looking pretty good. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, People ask me all the time, are you related? And I say, I've got to be related. I just have to be related, Andrew Luck. Uh, I just got to be. But I'm so excited. So... So I watched the, one of the first games this week, and, and uh, you notice, like in a football game, all the coaches are wearing headsets. You guys notice that? And so they've got coaches up in the press box that they're on headsets, and so the coaches on the field are wearing headsets. And so during the course of the game, uh, the coaches on the field, especially the head coach, can, can find out what's going on from the guys upstairs, and so they can make adjustments. They can be like, why, why in the world are they running the ball right up the middle and just gashing us, you know? And, the guys upstairs are saying, well, it's because our D-line's not playing very well, so you need to get some new guys in there, you know. So it's that kind of thing. Now, why do they do that? Why do they have all these headsets, and why are they all talking to each other? And the answer is really simple. You know, the, the worst possible place to watch a football game is on the sideline. It's the worst possible place to see. In fact, the people closest to the action have the worst perspective on what's happening 
have absolutely the worst perspective. They can't see a thing. They have no idea what is going on. And so, and so they ask upstairs, hey guys, what's going on upstairs? Tell, you know, what do you guys see from your vantage point? And I think that that's the challenge in the storm. Those closest to the action in the storm, the disciples, you and me, we really can't see what's going on. And so what's fascinating is God's logic seems completely illogical to us because we can't see. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus is in the press box and he sees the big picture. And what, what God is really trying to do for us in the storm is he's trying to build a treasure of godly character in us, faith hope and love that can withstand the storm. Does that make sense? And so we don't understand what's going on because we can't see. We're like, oh God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. And God says, trust me. Trust me. And Jesus says, I'm security in the storm. I am safety in the storm. I am with you in the storm. You need not be afraid. You need not be afraid. You know, I was reading about this guy, Joel Ruth. How blessed is he? He's walking on the beaches in South Florida, and he comes across a treasure chest, 180 uh, mint condition silver coins in a treasure chest. I'm not making this up. And it was right after a hurricane, and apparently the South Florida hurricane uncovered this treasure chest that dated all the way back to 715 all right it was on a spanish ship that sunk in south florida and it went down to the bottom and so 289 years later a hurricane blows through and uncovers you know this priceless treasure of spanish silver man what a great day to go on a walk there you go um and I was just thinking, you know, God allows us to go through storms because he's interested in uncovering a treasure of Christ-like character in us. And it can only be revealed in the storms. That's great news, isn't it? You guys, that's why he allows it. That's why he allows it. But there's a third lesson that we can learn, and it's this, that Jesus wants us to trust him in the storm. He wants us to trust him in the storm. Look, look with me at verse 25. Notice what he says. He says this. He said to them, he said to them after, you know, he calmed the sea and, and, the, and the wind and everything. He says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Now, I love this because, because Jesus doesn't say you don't have faith. He's saying, where is your faith? He's saying, you need to get it out right now and you need to use it. Where is it? He never told them they didn't have faith. Basically what he's saying here is you're just not using it. You're not exercising your faith. Now it's clear that from Jesus' perspective, faith is not a feeling. Faith is not a warm fuzzy, although it can be accompanied with warm fuzzies. You know, faith is not a quiver in your liver. That's not faith. He doesn't say to them, you guys aren't feeling tranquility right now. Start feeling it. He doesn't say that. What he's saying is, he's showing us that faith is a deliberate choice. That faith is an action. 
Faith is, is when we engage and take a step. That faith is mysteriously a gift from God, but it's also a response that God calls us to have and to show in him. And so what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, think about, he's saying to the disciples, think about what you've seen in just the past few weeks. You've got faith, get it out and use it. You know, just, you know, just in Luke 7, just the chapter right before this, Luke tells the story of, you know, of a centurion, a Roman centurion that believes in Jesus. And he, you know, uh, he says to Jesus, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. All you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. I really care about my servant and my servant is deathly ill. Would you just say the word? You don't even have to come. I'm not worthy of you to come. And, and I command soldiers and, and you just have to say the word and your word will be obeyed just like mine is. And you know what Jesus said to that? He said, I've never seen such great faith in all of Israel from a Roman centurion. And that man's servant was healed that day. Right after that, you know, a widow, uh, widow's son uh, died and Jesus raised the dead. Now, you guys, the disciples are watching all of this. They're seeing this. They're just kind of like, oh, man, this is really interesting here. I mean, one right after another after another. And Jesus has poured all of that into them. And he's asking them, where is your faith? You've seen this. Step out and start exercising it. Start using it. Start stepping out and, and, and make a choice based on what I've revealed to you. Now, I want to just take a couple of minutes and, and maybe talk to those that are here today that, you know, you're not a Christian and, you know, uh, you've been invited today and, and, uh, and you're thinking, man, you know, I'm just kind of skeptical. I just don't think it's reasonable to believe in Jesus and the Bible and these miracles and stuff. So you're just kind of skeptical. And we're, we're, we're glad that you're here. And I think, I think it's okay to ask questions. And, and, and maybe for you, you're like, what's the big deal about Jesus? I mean, what was so unique about him? Well, I think there's a lot unique about him. And so the world classifies him as a, you know, just a good teacher, but I think he's got to be more than that. In fact, what we know about Jesus is that he actually lived 2,000 years ago. It's a historical fact. And he actually died at the hand of the Romans on a Roman cross. That's a historical fact. And not only that, but his body was never in his tomb. You know why? Because he rose from the dead. And not only that, but Jesus' teaching and Jesus' miracles are compelling. I just don't know a lot of people that can do what he did. And not only that, but Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies that were written hundreds of years before he came to the earth. So I think his credentials are different than any other person who has ever lived. And you say, well, you know, uh, I'm not such a bad person. You know, I don't think I'm a sinner. You know, a lot of people say that in Indiana. You know, I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. I don't really think I'm a, I'm a sinner. I, I think the question that I have about that is this. Have you ever thought about how good is good enough to get into heaven? Is it 51%? Is it 70%? You got to get an A in goodness, like 92, 93, whatever an A is today. I don't know. But what, what, do, you even, do we know what the score is? And how do you even measure that? I mean, we're making a pretty big bet on that, right? 
And so a lot of people have those questions. I, I think a lot of us assume that the only thing God requires is goodness to get into heaven. That God requires us to have some level of goodness. But that's not really true. He doesn't require goodness. He requires perfection. And there are only two ways to get into heaven. Either you've got to be perfect and never sinned, or you can trust the one who was perfect and who is perfect, Jesus Christ. And you say, well, what about all the contradictions in the Bible? Well, I'd like to see one. Show me one. I'd like to look at that. You know, the interesting thing about the Bible is the incredible unity of it. I mean, you read, this thing was, the Bible was written by 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents, over 2,000 years, and it tells an amazing story. It tells one story. How miraculous is that? It tells the story of God pursuing people because he loves them. And so the Old Testament points to Jesus. Jesus comes, Jesus lives, dies, and is raised from the dead, and he's coming back. What an amazing storyteller God is. And so, yeah, I think there's some varying perspectives in the Bible. You know, there's some different perspectives. You've got 40 different people writing the Bible. Um, there's some different, you know, perspectives, certainly, right? But a partial account is not a false account. You know, there was a car accident on State Road 37, and, you know, 10 different people saw the car accident. I can guarantee you, I can get, you know, I can get varying perspectives of what happened in that car accident. And that's, that's what you have here. Well, what about the evil and suffering in the world today? I mean, it just, why would a good God allow that? Well, you know, most of the evil and suffering that happened in the world are really man-made. You realize that? It's man-made. And what God says, he's not going to allow it. He's going to judge it. He's going to make it right. He's going to wipe away every tear. And he's going to judge the world in righteousness where we all will give an account. We will all stand before God. And you say, well, you know, I just, I just don't like organized religion. Okay, come to our church. We've got disorganized religion right here. <laughs> Trust me. I lead the charge. So, Yeah. Well, the church is just so full of hypocrites. Come on, we've got room for one more. And I'm, I'm being funny, but I'm not. Do you know anybody that lives up to their convictions and their beliefs 100% of the time? Do you know anybody that does that? Christians aren't perfect. We're just forgiven. We're just following Jesus in the battle of sin. And it doesn't give us a right to excuse sin. But I and we often fail in the battle of it. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need a Savior. And so my whole point in this is this. God has revealed himself to you. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Get it out. Use it. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. Get it out and use it. Take a step. And it doesn't mean that you understand everything. That's okay. But what is it that you do understand? That Jesus lived and he died and he rose for you because he loves you. That's what we know. And that's enough to take a step of faith with. 
What we know is this, that Jesus endured the storm of the cross for you and for me. That he endured the storm of insults and beatings and betrayal and bloodshed on a cross because he took your place and mine for our sins. He did that for you and for me. And that's because he loves you. Where is your faith? Get it out and use it. Take a step today. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are so good. Thank you for showing us you are Lord of the storm. Thank you that you are with us in the storm, that you are safety and security in the storm. And so God, I pray that you would give us grace to take a step today towards you. That you would just reveal yourself, just like you did to the disciples. That we would be amazed and marveled just like, just like they were. So God, we ask you to move. You know, it may be that you're here today and you would like to become a Christian. You, you want Jesus with you in the storm. And you believe that Jesus died in your place on the storm of the cross. And you're like, I wanna be a Christian today. If that's where you are, I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And uh, there's nothing magical about my prayer, but, but we enter in. We enter into God's grace by asking for it, by asking Jesus into our life and saying, Jesus, will you be, will you be Lord over my storms? Will you be my safety and my security in, in, in my storm? Because I know if you are, that storm won't take me down because you've overcome it. If, if that's where you are today, that you wanna trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to get in the boat with Jesus. You want to know his forgiveness of sins. You just do two things. You just repent and you believe the good news. Repent just means, you know, I'm going to change the course of my life. I wasn't following Jesus, but now I am. Belief is just getting that faith out and exercising it and saying, I'm believing, I'm believing today. So if that's your decision, would you just pray with me? Let me just say a prayer for you. Lord God, Lord, show yourself today as we, as we come close to you. Come close. And if you wanna to pray to receive Christ, just repeat after me silently to yourself, dear Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins. Let me experience your grace and be Lord over my life and over the storms of my life. I'm getting in the boat to follow you. I trust you. Father, I thank you for every person who's prayed that prayer today. Thank you that you are mighty to save. You are good to save. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.